just this week had a conversation. Young lady, well, I'll never be an elder. What does this do for me? Could have slept in? No, too late. You're here. All right? So that, that won't work. But in seriousness, the, the value of this is that hopefully for those who might be called to be an elder, that this would stoke the fire in some sense. For those who are elders, that there would be encouragement. And for all the rest of us, there is still benefit because you get to see what the office of elder does for you and even what you can do in interaction with elders in this church. So in light of this, um, we will be looking at Titus 1. Most often, you'll hear 1 Timothy 3 preached. We're going to do something a little different. Titus 1, it goes, it fits well with 1 Timothy 3. So I invite you to stand for Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. I think people are still a little shell-shocked that they had the offer to have slept in, but no, it's good. It's good to be here. This will be good. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let us pray. Lord, your word, as always, is good, is true, is perfect, is timely. This morning, would you teach us the value of this office, the value that you have laid upon these men, and how we can interact and be blessed by them and bless them? Would you do that in Christ's name? Amen. You may be seated. You have an outline you can follow along in your bulletin. It'll help to keep me on track. That is why I left you in Crete, Paul says, verse 5. Crete, if we think of Crete, Crete is an island near Greece, okay? And it is significant for a number of reasons. Paul had ministered there with Titus. And also, just in, as far as that culture goes, there was all kinds of Greek mythology, all kinds of Greek mythology, the myths and so forth there, the, the, the gods that were worshipped. That's the culture that Paul and Titus were in. And for me personally, that, that aspect of the mythology stands out. Back when I was young, I can remember driving around or riding around in the back of my parents' uh, Ford Mavericks. They had multiple of these Mavericks. And if you think our, if you've seen our cars, they're fairly old. If you think they're old, you should have pictured the Mavericks that, that my dad had. Uh, one of them, uh, the horn would go off in the middle of the night, and he'd have to go out and mess with the wires, get it stop honking. So these, these Mavericks. But the memory is sitting in the back seat on vacation with my grandmother, Graham. She's a great storyteller. Graham, tell me the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. 
Theseus and Minotaur, on the island of Crete is where the setting was. The Minotaur, a half-man, half-bull, uh, terror. There's an identity crisis for you right there. But he ruled the labyrinth in Crete where prisoners were thrown in. Theseus goes into the labyrinth with his sword and a ball of yarn. So when he kills the Minotaur, and he was successful, then he could find his way out by following the yarn out. So that was one that captivated my attention. Fortunately, it didn't lead me to, lead, to worship the false gods, but that's what was going on in this eclectic culture that Paul speaks into. Worship of false gods, all kinds of crazy beliefs, in some sense, not too far off of what we have here in our eclectic culture. New age, false mysticism, general untruths, false truths, half-truths, identity crisis. And Paul tells Titus, into that culture and into ours, put what remained into order, into order. Order, when you think of that word, maybe unless you're a project manager, industrial engineer, something like that, that may be like a, a four-letter word. Order, yuck. It's like wrestling a muddy pig to the ground. I don't want any of that. Or for a teen, order means that I've got to get up before 10 o'clock in the morning and I've got a curfew and all that kind of order. Order might be a bad word for you. But here, order is a good thing. Order is a good thing for ministry. Ministry is to people, but structure and order help to be, in a sense, the trellis that the vine of ministry rests upon. We need good structure in place so that we can minister well to the people. And the way that Paul says to Titus to have the structure, to have the order, is he says, appoint elders in verse 5. He says, appoint elders. So do that. Now, take a step back for a second. Paul says to Titus, in a sense, we've already talked about this. You need to do this. So why is it written here if they already talked about it? So that one, Titus can be reminded, two, likely, so this is passed along to us in later generations so that we can see this is how church should go. This is a good thing. This is normative to have this, to have elders to do church government this way. We get to be blessed by this passage, by this conversation, if you will, that Paul and Titus had. And even to this level of detail, a church becomes a church in Presbyterian uh, uh, doctrine, or not doctrine, but polity, becomes a church when there is a session of elders. When there is a session of elders, that's when a church becomes particularized and becomes a church. And we're seeking to follow this scripture right here in that. And then the deacons come afterwards. But we are seeking to be biblical even here at Redeemer by following this. Now, this is not meant to be a sermon on just church government. Do not worry about that. But I would say this, sermon within a sermon. Within Presbyterianism, we often joke about God's sovereignty and theology and having things ordered properly. And some good-natured fun is, is all fine and good. But hopefully we, as a congregation here at Redeemer, would appreciate 
that Presbyterian doctrine, Reformed doctrine, is built upon Scripture. We desire to be biblical, to have a government that follows Scripture. That's why we do what we do. It's why we're connected. It's why we have a session of elders, because we know that men are fallen, and they need accountability to help each other so somebody doesn't go wayward and take a, a, a church way astray as some maverick pastor. We have a connected nature. Why churches are connected together for accountability as well so that one church doesn't go way off the rails. Other churches help to keep them in line. We are about good structure because God is about good structure. In the next four verses, as we dig in, Paul's going to refer to elders and overseers kind of interchangeably. The elder, a bit more, the term maybe a bit more about the character. The overseer, a bit more about what they do. So we'll call that the shepherd. Think of the elder as a shepherd. Think of your elder here as a shepherd. That is their goal. The person and the work is to fit in and to be a shepherd. So in these four verses, and I invite you to look along with me, Paul's going to um, effectively have what we'll call a pentadecagon. What in the world? A pentadecagon. Okay, so a pentadecagon is a 15-sided polygon. This isn't a polygon because the, the pictures I found weren't that good of one. But this is a 15, the wheel has 15 spokes. So he's going to give 15 sides, 15 qualities of the elder. The 15th Amendment gave the right to vote. So if you see these 15 uh, aspects in a man, hey, consider that person as a potential elder. Will they do them perfectly? No, I don't mean to set them up to fail in that way. But this is what God is calling elders to do, to be. And it's not necessarily an exhaustive list, but this exemplifies what they are about. So last week, Adam had nine points. That was just a warm-up. This is 15 points, and Deirdre is probably on the way out already, right? Because he said she was going to leave, but no, we're not going to do that, okay? Because Presbyterians were supposed to be orderly, right? So we're going to take those 15 and kind of put them into three buckets. I won't hit every one of them uh, completely, but we're going to put them in three buckets. When I started to think about doing 15-point sermon, it took me back to my days of college math and chaos and fractals. And chaos and fractals gets into saying that these random things, like a butterfly's wings in Mexico, affect a hurricane in Indonesia. Yes, there's math theory. Don't let your children grow up to be math majors. Let them be elders, okay? Much better. So our first point, simple point in the intro is, order is good, order helps ministry, order helps people. And that is good, and that means that elders are good here in Scripture. Nice and simple. We get that. And remember that your elder is a shepherd. He cares for the sheep. He loves the sheep. He gets dirty for sheep. He disciplines sheep because he loves sheep because sheep are God's sheep. Amen. That is what the elder does. And for those who aren't called to be elders... We still need to realize that the elder here in this passage is still showing qualities that all of us, by God's grace, should seek to have and to do and to be. The elder points us in that direction. 
And when you think of an elder, it's not like they're just appointed to this office and now they get to quit being a drunk and a wife beater and an arrogant jerk. No. You see these aspects in an elder and then they step in and are, and, and are given authority to exercise them in a church surrounding. That's a lot of what you look for in these. And many of us have been led to Christ by godly men as elders such as these. So last slide, I'm going to show you simply this. How are we going to organize this? The elder shepherds. The elder shepherds himself, that's the closest circle. The elder cares about his own life. Am I living in a godly way? Not so that I get praise, but so that it reflects on Christ. The elder is called to care and shepherd himself. Secondly, a little bit broader, the elder is called to manage and shepherd and care for his family. That's kind of the second bucket that Paul is giving Titus here. And then thirdly, the elder shepherds the flock outside of himself, his family. He cares for the church. He desires to love and to lead them in godly relationships to Christ. Simple three buckets. That's the outline we'll follow here. So first, the elder shepherds himself. One of the first things Paul says there is that he's above reproach. So think about this for a minute. You probably have that person in life who is out to get you. Okay, like Javert to Jean Valjean in Les Mis. Could be a relative, could be a schoolmate, could be a competitor in sports. What did I do to deserve this fault finder? No matter what you did, it's not good enough. You did this. No, I didn't do this. You didn't do this. Yes, I did. It doesn't matter. They are out to get you. So what's the benefit of that? Even that person who's the fault finder, who's after you, can lead you to be above reproach because if they're going to criticize you, at least let it not be because of sin. So in God's providence, they can lead you to lead a life of being above reproach. The early church father, Anselm, even said this. He said, powerful illustration, hard one to fathom. He said, picture hell on one side of the bank. Picture sin on the other side of the bank. He said... I would rather step into hell and suffer that than to sin and offend my God. So what he was saying, in effect, was, I desire to be above approach and not offend the Lord, my Savior. And I would suffer not to do that. Now, let's make this clear. Being above reproach or blameless is not sinless. It is not saying that the elder is sinless, but that the elder desires not to sin in his heart of hearts to avoid offending his God. An elder is going to make mistakes. An elder is going to sin. An elder is going to sin big. Could be he was tired and he got a request from somebody and he lashed out at him because, oh, I've got all this stuff going on. And or maybe he got defensive about somebody criticizing him. But that means he doesn't just say, hey, sorry, I'm a sinner just like you, and I'm sorry you got mad about it. The elder would then confess, confess, repent, 
desire to change, desire to change for his own godly life and so that you see the change and that Christ gets the glory, the elder is seeking to be above reproach for Christ's glory. The elder is controlled by God's way, not his own way. Where is that in the passage? In verse 8, the passage mentions discipline. The elder disciplines himself. Paul talks about that. He says, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that. So the elder is called to discipline himself as well. Okay? Some would say that the Christian life is all based on love. Some would say it's based on duty. Is it love or duty? Yes. Okay? I didn't, I didn't say it was mutually exclusive. Yes, both. Like Aslan with the children, they love the lion. They love Aslan. He died for them. He saved them. All of that, they love and adore him. But they also respect, honor, fear even this majestic creature in the same way we are with God. There's a love, there's a respect, there's even a duty as a good word. Socrates says he would rather have the king's smile than the king's gold. The desire of the Christian and of the elder is to please the Lord, to live his way, not their own way, and that is why they seek to, to discipline themselves. It's for God's sake, for love for God, for honoring God, that he prays others to God, he corrects others to God, he loves them to God, he points them to God, all for God's glory, God's way, not his own. And then verse 7, Paul says, the elder, in disciplining himself, he's humble, not arrogant, the way of faith. Humble, not arrogant, the way of faith. What is humility? How does that imply faith? So think about arrogance. Arrogance says, I better project myself out there in a certain way so that you will think well of me. You will value me, and I need to project myself in such a way that you will value me. False. God values you in Christ. You have no need to do that, elder or any of us. Arrogance says, the successes I've had are because of me. Recognize me, affirm me. False. The elder thanks God for any blessing that he has. He realizes in his heart of hearts, he's like Mephibosheth before David. Mephibosheth said as a lame man, he said, who am I? I'm a dead dog. And you take notice of me. You take notice of me. In the same way, the elder is saying, any gifts you've given, they are from you. Thank you. I love you for them. So the elder disciplines himself because it reflects on Christ. The second circle, we said, the second bucket is his family. The elder shepherds his family. He cares for his home. He invests in his family. His desire is that his children, his wife, love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Watson puts it simply this way. He's careful that his children should know God. He would be sorry that any of his flesh should burn in hell. He labors to see Christ formed in those who are, in him, who are himself in another edition. 
And one might say that for an elder, if things weren't going well at home, that he would be more than willing to step aside from ministry and invest in the home. Amen to that, and good and true. This passage is taking a different angle, and it's saying this. If you look at the word in verse 7 where it says overseer, and then steward, as God's steward, the word steward there has at its root house. And what it is saying is that the elder cares for his own house so that God's house, the lesser to the greater, is well cared for. If the elder can't care for his own household, then he should not be the steward of God's household. Faithful in little, then given much responsibility is what Paul is pointing to here. And as far as being a husband, it doesn't just mean that the, that the man had one wife, okay? It's not ruling out divorce or a widow, somebody real married, that kind of thing. And it's not saying, oh, just because you're not a polygamist, you're okay. It's saying he's a one-woman man. His heart, his devotion is for his wife and caring for her as his bride because then he can care for Christ's bride, the church. Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In the same way, the elder is calling out and saying similarly. The ancient Jew Philo, he said this. With the Ten Commandments, he said, typically folks would see the four, the first four commandments as having to do with God, and the next six having to do with our relationships with others. He said, take the fifth commandment and put it over here, honor your father and mother, because he said, if, if the child is not doing that, they are ultimately not honoring God. So the focus there on the children, honoring God by honoring their parents. And in fact, among the Greek people of Laconia, fortunately we don't do this, It had been said that if a child had behaved poorly towards his parent, the father could disinherit the child, appoint a new heir for that child. So children, beware. If your dad's wanting to be an elder, he might do that to get off the hook here. Good thing we don't live in Laconia, all right? But you see here the ruling aspect, all right? The elder cares for himself, cares for uh, his family. So in a sense, the ruling aspect, you will hear it described that the shepherd, the elder, rules, he governs. That is super important to do that well in the church. But also, there's the part about being the shepherd who loves people, the shepherd who loves people. He cares about his flock. In verse 8, It says that the elder shows hospitality, and he's a lover of good. The elder must love people. Rosaria Butterfield, in effect, calls the church to be the church, and and this applies to elders in her book on hospitality. She says this, radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They take their own sins seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. So in effect, the elder is saying, 
Come enter into my life. I'm going to enter into your life. Come visit me. I'll visit you. Come enter into my chaos, even. It's life on life. And the elder is saying, I want to shepherd you. I want to point you to Christ. Practically speaking, here at Redeemer, a goal for a shepherding elder is four, what we'll call touches, to to the flock. That could be an email one month. It could be a phone call another one. It could be a conversation in the hall. And then a visit where ideally the elder comes and visits you, says, how is your life? How are you doing? How are you doing with the Lord? Or come and visit me. It's life on life that the elder is showing hospitality to love on you. So when that elder reaches out, respond, be friendly, help out, okay? Don't just treat them like a telemarketer. They love you. They're trying to care for you. The elder teaches. The elder prays. The elder. Think about this, potential elders. Are you willing to enter into the dark so that someone can be restored to the light? Do you listen, before answering, to hear somebody's story so you can see how God has made them unique. Will you pray for them knowing this is, this is your, one of your best tools, your best hope to lift them up in prayer? Will you follow and submit to others knowing it doesn't mean that you've arrived, but rather that you still have much to learn of Christ and you can learn it from each and everyone else here, showing that humility not arrogance. Will you encourage others to fight against their sin for the glory of God? In September 1864, General Grant goes to uh, visit with General Sheridan to talk over logistics. And they're meeting and they're pacing around, discussing the logistics, the timing, the matter. And there's a sergeant who sees them, leans on the uh, fence post and is watching and a friend comes up and the sergeant says that's Grant then he says I hate to see that old cuss around when that old cuss is around there's sure to be a big fight on hand in one sense the elder is calling each of us to say there's a fight there's a fight to the finish life is not just vacation I'm called to live in a godly way. The elders to remind us of that, even though that can be a little bit painful. He calls us to fight. And the other picture is, think of this. Um, the scene, the, the, the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, Sam and Frodo are crawling up Mount Doom. Frodo can't make it. He's just laying there. He's about to give up. The, the, the uh, shot goes to Mount Doom, Sauron's eye, practically infinite in what's going on there, practically, just doom, terror, sure thing, Sauron will win. But then the music captures it, one tin whistle, one tin whistle goes to Sam. Sam says to Frodo, I can't carry it. I can't carry your ring, but I can carry you. 
There are times where the elder is saying, I will enter in. Christ is your only hope, my only hope. I will carry you for this season. Lean on me as Frodo did on Sam. So finally, our application. Application that that we're called when we hear God's word to think, to feel, to do something different. We should not leave the same. The sheep, those who are not going to be an elder, a sheep is tempted to say, leave me alone, leave me alone, but need to say, I will be led. I will be led. At times, the sheep need to be corrected. If the sheep were saying, I'm going to head down to Columbia, and I want to take I-85, let me go, should allow the elders to say, no, you're not going to get there. It ain't going to work. You got to take 77. Sheep say, thank you. You saved me time. I'll get there. Thank you for correcting me. I will be led. But the sheep can also help the leaders, can help the elders. Sheep, flock, brothers and sisters, pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. There are all kinds of things you can pray. You don't just have to say, oh, bless them. I give you a list. Monday, pray for them. Love God, their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Tuesday, pray for them. Love their neighbors as themselves. Wednesday, pray for them not to enter into temptation. Thursday, pray for them. Be faithful in their devotion so that they can teach and pray on your behalf. Friday, pray for them to make wise decisions on behalf of this church. Saturday, pray for them to be humble, not arrogant. Sunday, pray for them to rest well. Shameless, selfish plug, pray for your leaders, please, please. Potential elders can say, leave me alone, (laughs) but need to say, I will lead, I will lead. John Calvin, 1536, returns to Paris. His goal was to settle some old financial matters and to be a scholar, I love this. That's what I'm going to do. William Farrell, a pastor, finds out he's in Geneva, comes to see him in Geneva, pleads with him, join the work of the Reformation. We need you. Calvin refused. Farrell said, therefore, I proclaim to you in the name of Almighty God, whose command you defy, upon your work there shall rest no blessing. We would call that binding someone's conscience. We won't do that to you elders. But, (laughs) as if under searing fire, Calvin's defiance melted. And as he offered his hand to the preacher, a tear rolled over his caved-in cheek. I obey God, was his cry. As I said, we will not bind your conscience in that way. So hence, we won't do that to you, so we'll tone it down a bit so you'll accept something simpler like this. So potential elders... If you, are, are, if you are given a nomination, think about this. Think about this. Pray about this. Do I have a passion? Do I have a desire to shepherd God's people towards Christ? Do I have a passion and a desire? And even this morning, hopefully, was it stoked even a little bit, that, fa- that passion, that desire? And then hopefully thinking through that calling, And the opportunity to shepherd and love and care for others 
Can I actually schedule it into my life? Is it possible? I mean, that's where it often lands. Can I, can I possibly do this? Talk to another elder. It's not an impossible amount of time. Yes, there are sacrifices. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, it's worth it. Yes, the schedule can be done, and, and, and you can, we can help you with scheduling. We're not out to take you away from your family every night of the week by any means. We want your family to flourish. We care about that. So can you navigate and make those things work? In one sense, in one sense, who, who, who can measure up to this list of 15? We feel the weight. We feel the challenge. Where does the elder go? Ultimately, look at verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Holding firm to God's word so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The elder must hold firmly to God's word. Elder doesn't depend on his age. Oh, I'm older than you and I got experiences and therefore I can help you. Or on his talents. There are elders here who are quite talented in skills. Doctors, professors, business owners. It's not what they're relying on. They rely, you rely, I rely, brothers and sisters, on God's word. His inerrant word. It is enough. Because it's true, it's the fire in our soul. Because of that, the elder can be a shepherd. Because of that, each and every one of us can walk with God. It's, it's what we've got, and it is enough. Let us pray. Father, indeed, the, the elder rests upon your word. The deacon rests upon your word. Each and every one of us in here this morning rests upon your word that is good, that is true, that gives us a fire and a passion to lead others to Christ, that gives us hope, that gives us others to rest on even when we lose the hope. Lord, thank you for this body at Redeemer. Thank you for where you will take, Lord Jesus, your church in the future. For that, we thank you. We praise you. Amen. Thank you.